Walk Wong, folks. How you doing? Uh, 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 How you doing, Paul? I want a cracker. Uh. It's your old chuckle buddy. I guess who? James Ramcharan, reporting live for duty on this magnificent October 6th in the year of our Lord, 2020. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. Ah, fucking fiddlesticks! You know, I'm like a fucking cat going to a vet. You gotta fucking try to muzzle my dumb ass. Sick of it! These fucking... Ah, fucking bunch of baloney wearing these stupid dummy fucking masks. I get it! Okay. Folks, after careful consideration, I get it. I get it with these fucking masks already, you know? They help fat people. They help elderly, sick, dummy fucking dum-dums, you know? But they're not... What's good for the goose ain't good for the gander! For crying out loud, do we all have to wear these things fucking 24-7, seven days a week? Sick of it! You know, by the time this thing's all said and done, I'm going to have to get a double ear erectomy. Look at these fucking ears. They just pop out like fucking Dumbo. I'm sick of these fucking Dumbo ears. I'm slated for a fucking double ear erectomy. The way things are going. You know? Got these fucking elephantitis ears. I can't take it anymore. Ah, hell. Fucking fiddlesticks. Fucking around with these fucking Dumbo mumbo jumbo fucking masks all the live long day. I can't take it anymore. Fucking sick of it. You know, I'm going into my Rodney Dangerfield routine. I'm telling you, I can't take it anymore. You know? <laughs> Some mornings I get drinking early, Johnny. <laughs> I tell you. You know, this pandemic, that's another one, you know? You know, my wife tells me, come over. She's got COVID-19. I go over. She's home. <laughs> you know? I can't take it anymore, you know? My wife says, you know, honey, you want some meatloaf? I don't think meatloaf's supposed to have COVID-19 in the dark. You know, it's supposed to glow in the dark. Come on. <laughs> ah, it's just, just a bunch of fucking fear-mongering, bunch of fucking COVID-19 scientific mumbo-jumbo as far as I'm concerned, folks. Anyway, if you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast. This is a show where I bitch, whine, squawk, cabellic, and kibitz about myself in order to relate to y'all self. Y'all the dear listener, y'all the dear viewer. Shared experiences, kindred souls, BFFs forever. You know? I talk about current events, pop culture, the times of our times. It's quite the roller coaster, folks. You know? You can catch me on iTunes. You can catch me on Spotify, YouTube, you know? And my own website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. And you can also email the show jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. And as always, if you're enjoying the show, please help my black ass out for crying out loud, you know? Share me with a friend. And as usual, chugging along here, if you are new to the show, I am an actor extraordinaire. 19 years of service, diploma in theater arts. That's been to the bone, ladies and gentlemen, and damn proud of it. It's hot. Ah, it gets hot. 
once you get squawking and bitching and belly aching in front of the camera, the lights are on you, you got a fucking COVID-19 mask, you know, you're acting up a blue streak, you know, once you get acting up a blue streak on a podcast, vodcast, once you get acting, it gets hot. It's like any combat sport, you know, you're bound to burst out in a sweat, you know, you got sweat pouring out your forehead, you know, it gets hot. It's a little hot. <clears throat> For all y'all audiophiles out there, pardon moi. Just gonna have a quick sip of water. Water break balls. Thank you, balls. Gonna sip of water balls. Much obliged. Sure is hot. Indian summer. You know, beautiful early October. Autumn. Auburn colored leaves and the rustling wind. The little munchkins getting ready for fucking Halloween, you know? You know those little dummies, they wear their little fucking Pokemon, Pokemon. Ah, hell, I don't know. Whatever the kids are into these days. Digimon. What are these fucking dummies into these days? SpongeBob SquarePants fucking costumes. They're little ghosts and ghouls. You know, the little munchkins hopping around in the little fucking Halloween costumes, you know? It's a very, uh, spooky. Time of year, you know, very spooky. And, um, you know, as an actor, thespian extraordinaire, it's a great time of year, you know. Dip back into the lexicon of um, horror. Horror films, you know. Some major classics, right? One of my favorites, Silence of the Lambs. That was a major film. I think a lot of people forget it won Best Picture. Best Picture of like 1991, I believe. You know, got some stats here. Um, The Silence of the Lambs. This is some info from wikipedia.org. Make sure to donate. (laughs) Yeah, right. Wikipedia.org. Made possible by your generous donations. So anyways, The Silence of the Lambs. The Silence of the Lambs is a 1991 American psychological horror film directed by Jonathan Demme. From a screenplay written by Ted Daly, adapted from Thomas Harris, Thomas Harris's 1988 novel of the same name. The film stars Jodie Foster as Clarice Starling, Agent Starling. Agent Starling, Clarice Starling, a young FBI trainee who pulled out from her training to apprehend a serial killer known only as Buffalo Bill. Put it in the fucking basket. Put it in the fucking basket. Who skins his female victims' corpses. (laughs) I repeat, a serial killer known only as Buffalo Bill who skins his female victims' corpses. You know, Um, for this, she has to create a psychological profile and seeks the advice of the imprisoned Dr. Hannibal Lecter. You know what I think you are? With your nice bag and your cheap shoes, you look like a rube, you know? All those back road Bumbling occurrences with young farm boys with their sticky hands, doing everything you could to get away, get away from the screaming of the lambs. 
You're only one generation away from poor white trash. But look at you, you made it all the way to the FBI. Love the suit. <laughs> Fucking Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> oh, God. Anthony Hopkins. For this, she has to create a psychological profile and seeks the advice of the imprisoned Dr. Hannibal Lecter, a brilliant psychiatrist and cannibalistic serial killer. Anthony Hopkins plays Lecter, and Ted Levine plays Bill, Buffalo Bill. It also features uh, Scott Glenn and Anthony Heald. The novel was was Harris's first and second, respectively, to feature the characters of Stalling and Lecter, and was second and was the second adaptation of a Harris novel to feature Lecter, preceded by Michael Mann-directed Manhunter. Yeah, that was actually pretty good, too. Um, so to get into some of the uh, accolations, critical response. The Silence of the Lambs was a sleeper hit and gradually gained widespread success and critical acclaim. Foster, Hopkins, and Levine garnered much acclaim for their performances. Director Jonathan Demme's smart, taut thriller Teeters on the, oh yeah, <laughs> Demme's smart, taut thriller Teeters on the edge between psychological study and all-out horror and benefits greatly from stellar performances by Anthony Hopkins, Jodie Foster, and Jodie Foster. Uh, Diddly-dum, diddly-do. Yes. So, Academy Awards record. Best Picture. Uh, I believe it won Best Picture in 1991. Best Director, Jonathan Demme. 1991, Best Actor, Anthony Hopkins, Best Actress, Jodie Foster, and Best Screenplay, Ted Talley. Wow, I didn't know Jodie Foster won uh, an award as well. She was great. She really nailed that performance. Uh, you know, it just was a joy to watch. You know, it's a psychological horror. You know, it's haunting uh, beautifully shot. Um, there was the cinematographer. Uh, let me see the cinematographer. I forget his name. He worked a lot with Jonathan Demme, some Japaniard, Japanese dude. Real talented. Uh, let me see here. Ah, uh, yes. Tak Fujimoto, the cinema photographer. Cinematographer Tak Fujimoto. He was nominated uh, for an Academy Award uh, in that regard. Uh, but yes, Best Picture won. Best Director won. Best Actor won. Best Actress won. Best Adapted Screenplay won. Best Actress in a Motion Picture Drama won. Right? So it just killed it. Oh, hold up. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. No, oh, yeah, one. So, yeah, that... Fuck, if you want a great horror film, a great horror film, psychological thriller, horror, you know, Halloween, 
kind of creepy film, you know, Silence of the Lambs. It's on Netflix now recently, right? Great film. Great. I remember being like a youngin. I was just a youngin. I was like, it was released, it was released January of 1991. So like I was four years old, four or five years old. You know, I think it was released January 1991. Let me check my uh, Wikipedia profile. Yeah, January 30th, 1991. It was released in New York. Uh, I guess that maybe that was a preliminary release. Officially, it was released February 14th, 1991 in the United States. So I guess, you know, early 1991. So yeah, I was like four or five years old. And I remember, you know, like my mom would take me to the mall and you would see the movie poster. You know, you remember when, I guess they still do it, but um, a lot of times outside of a movie theater, there's like a large, I guess this was like an octagon type shape. It was like a tubular octagon. It was like a, you know, an, an octagon, a tubular type of octagon. And on each face of the octagon was a movie poster for what was playing in theaters. And uh, yeah, that haunting movie poster, you know, Jodie Foster's face with the fucking little moth. The, the moth like pointing, you know, that gaunt white pale face with that fucking moth just staring out at you. I remember just being a youngin, just a little munchkin, like four years old. And, you know, you go to the mall with your mom, and I remember walking by that poster, and I, I would just look at it. And I'd be... She's got a butterfly in her mouth. And my mom would be like, come on, John, come on, Jonathan, let's go. And, you know, we'd go, and I'd be just staring at it. She's got a butterfly in her mouth. Like, I wasn't scared and I wasn't, like, terrified or nothing. You know, I didn't wet my panties. But, like, I was, like, creeped out by it. I remember just being very attracted to it. You know, like, not in a sexual matter, you know. Goodbye, horses. Crying over you. Goodbye, horses. Would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. (laughs) Dancing with his fucking dick tied behind his fucking legs, you know? Would you fuck me? It puts the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Put it in the basket. Put it in the fucking basket. When I say I was attracted to the poster, I wasn't, like, attracted to it. But, like, I mean, it would draw me in. I just, you know, my mom would walk me past the poster and I would just look at it. And I'd be like... She's got a butterfly in her mouth. She's got a butterfly in her mouth. My mom would be like, no, come on, let's go, let's go. You know? The performances, like, I mean, you know... Jodie Foster, I mean, obviously, um, Ted Levine, is that the dude's name? 
Buffalo Bill, I was just doing a little impersonation. Buffalo Bill there. Um, yes, Ted Levine. Buffalo Bill did an amazing job. Amazing. Amazing job. Um, creepy, terrifying, complicated, you know, murderous, transsexual, uh, transvestite. You know, just a real... <laughs> Speaking of which, um, you know, it's like, you know, transgendered communities so underrepresented in film. Well, like, well, no. Did you see Silence of the Lambs? They featured quite prominently in that film. <laughs> we need more roles like that for the LGBTQT community. Kidding, folks. You know I love you. But, um, <laughs> you know, Ted Levine crushed that role. Uh just hauntingly terrifying, Buffalo Bill. Then Jodie Foster, she pretty much anchored it as the protagonist, Clarice Starling. Um, just this new young woman, FBI trainee, naive, yet very studious, very determined, very smart, witty. And, you know... With, um, you know, some of her past that she was dealing with and running from and what drove her to, you know, what drove her to be the, you know, vessel for good, you know, you know, an agent for the FBI seeking justice, you know. And then you got Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> You know what you remind me of with your good bag and your cheap shoes? You remind me of a rube, you know? Look at you, Clary Starling. Made it all the way to the FBI. <laughs> did, you breath, did you breastfeed Martha? Must have toughened your nipples. And by the way, Senator, love the suit. Anthony Hopkins, one of my favorite actors. Um, Titus, Titus Andronicus. He plays King Titus in um, a screen adaptation of Shakespeare's Titus, Titus Andronicus. That's a great film directed by Julie Taymor, I believe, right? Um, yeah, Anthony Hopkins. And, uh, you know... What a great film, and what a great way to, you know, kick off a fun season. Halloween! <laughs> you know? What a way to scare the munchkins, you know? Hey, you know, you got a child? Hey, son, come here. Let's watch Silence of the Lambs together. <laughs> a little bonding now that you're home from COVID-19. You know, we're going to watch horror films together in the dark. <laughs> so, um, you know, as an actor, it's great to indulge in those things. During Halloween. Hallelujah. There you have it, folks. Janet Ramcharan, actor extraordinaire. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I am also a stand up comedian extraordinaire. 11 plus years of service. I've been thinking. Um, coronavirus, COVID-19, pandemic. This is a world 
in change, a world in motion, rising to the challenges of our times. It's tough. Um, you got the the elites, the elites in our in our field. Um, you know, like the Sarah Silvermans, the Dave Chappelle's, the uh, the Whitney Cummings, the Bill Burrs, the Joe Rogans. You know, um, the Chris Rocks. You got these people, the elites. They're suffering. You know, they're taking a fucking kick to the nuts. You know. Maybe not as um, overtly as, you know, some of the underlings, myself included, you know, the bottom of the barrel, you know. Maybe not as overtly or as obviously as, you know, some of the lower, you know, representatives of this industry. But, um, you know, it goes to show, like, the scope of what we're dealing with and what we have to rise to in order to persevere. And um, I was thinking, you know, I've had a, I've had a very interesting career so far, 11 years into stand-up comedian, 11 years of comedy. Um, Came in the game as a youngin, pocket full of something, yo, cash money. Came in the game as a youngin, you know, like early 20s, you know, fresh out of theater school. Started doing stand-up. And, you know, I, I had some early successes in terms of, like, you know, I got lucky in that I got regular work, paid work, um, as, like, a like an opening act, you know, at a local stand-up comedy club in my area. But then, you know, due to, you know, some of the trappings of life you know some of the trappings of youth you know um i was a drinker you know getting drunk getting crunk around the clock smoking weed marijuana you know looking back on it now makes me sick to my stomach when i look back at it now but you know back in them days you know i was partying partying like it was 1999 you know getting sloshed on the regular and you know you squander your opportunities you got arrogance the arrogance and the ignorance of youth and then you recoup, and then you reassess, and then you re-engage. Then you go after um, your past failures with a new, well, I guess you don't really go over your past failures. You kind of let them be. But you move forward in a more accountable tone, right? And a part of where I am right now as a stand-up comedian um, I got a lot of different game. I can come at you out of many different types of angles. You know, I got quite a high comedy IQ, meaning I could talk till the cows come home. I could probably go for days talking about comedy. Um, radio comedy, early comedy from like the 1940s, 50s. Um, you know, black and white boob tube comedy. Uh, you know, stand-up comedians, famous stand-up comedians, famous comedy sitcoms, comedy movies, um, the physicality, the pantomime, the Lotzi, you know, the Comedia dell'arte, you know, different forms and narratives of humor in theatrical performance. 
um, pop culture in the comedy world. You know, the icons, what's relevant today. Women in stand-up comedy, black people in stand-up comedy, um, Irish Catholic stand-up comedy, Jewish stand-up comedy, um, you know, East Indian stand-up comedy, um, hailing out of Canada, you know, that's my dog, Russell Peters, you know, he was like the first of his kind, broke down a lot of doors for the Indian community, and, you know, just a relevant, hilarious comedian till this day. So I can come at you at a multiple multitude of different angles in returns to stand-up comedy, comedy in general. I could talk till the cows come home. But like what I've learned recently is like, you know, with all my experiences and my failures and the different ways in which I can approach the matter, I'm starting to return to, which I think is a very universal theme in comedy i think when you do this type of work after a while you come to a place of we're observers generally speaking the comedian we're like flies on the wall you know we're like flies on the wall you know we just watch shit with our fucking, you know, kaleidoscope eyes, you know, soaking in every fucking thing. Then we criticize, we laugh, we satirize, satirically poke fun at, you know, the absurdity of life. Right? So, there's a wellspring of emotion that comes with that and a lot of different angles. One thing that happened to me was... I started life being very open, very extroverted. You know, I always wanted to joke. I always wanted to be involved in what was going on. You know, my nickname was Noisy. <laughs> That's what, um, you know, for a minute I was called Noisy as a child because I was always, hey, how's it going? Hey, what's going on? Hey, what's up? Hey, my name's Jonathan. How you doing? I'm like talking to everybody, running around like I was noisy. And, you know, I was an extrovert and I was loud and obnoxious. And sometimes I was funny. Sometimes I was just plain annoying and needy. But it comes to a place where, you know, you do that for a while and you have your experience with it. And then coupled with my alcoholism, I'm three plus years sober today. You know, rapidly approaching my fourth year of sobriety continuous sobriety and when I was out there drinking you know you know and I was out there getting sloshed you you tend to well I guess addiction is generally speaking antisocial behavior self-centered antisocial behavior so the more and more I got kind of dependent on my drinking the more and more I pulled away, I pulled away and I pushed away from people in society. I had really no tolerance, no interest in people. Like I'd see somebody talking at me and I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when's this person going to shut the fuck up? 
Like, what does your talking have to do with me being drunk or high? I want to be drunk and high right now. Why am I listening to... Nice day, isn't it? Nice day, isn't it? Oh, it's pretty hot out. Oh, it's pretty cold out. Hey, Jonathan, I'm your boss. Here, I have something to tell you. Oh, hey, Jonathan, I'm your... Don't you love me? Don't you want me? You're never going to find somebody better than me. Why y'all up in my ear talking all the shit I ain't want to hear? Get back, motherfucker. You don't know me like that. Would you shut up? Would you fucking knock it off with your fucking dummy double talk mumbo jumbo? What the hell does this have to do with anything? I want to be drunk. I want to be high right now. Right this very second, you know? If I don't, I'll be sick to my stomach. Makes you sick to your stomach when you have to fucking digest and um, decipher all the fucking lies backward, egotistical nonsense, you know, self-centered, egotistical, maniacal fucking mumbo-jumbo that comes out of the fucking mouth of the average person. We're all full of shit. You become jaded, cynical, motivated by self-interest, detached, disinterested in your fellow human being. Fuck off. Where's my drugs? Where's my drugs? Where's my alcohol? Fuck up off me. Shut up. You become disinterested. From people. (laughs) And that's what I became. Very disinterested in people. For the first time in my life. So I went through like a three year period. When I was like drunk. Like I mean I had a drinking problem for years. I mean I basically had a drinking problem. That spanned 16 years. You know from the age of 14 to 30. And then for the last like three to four years of it, I was like drunk and drunk every day, smoking weed every day pretty much as well. So I was drunk and stoned pretty much every day for like the last three years of it. And in that real small, in that relatively small span, like three, four years of continuously drinking and ripping bong hits. Well, I never really smoked out of a bong, you know, token joints, knocking back beers. I became very antisocial and just uninterested in people. And that really can affect comedy. Because ideally, comedy is about connecting. Connecting with people. Speaking the truth of a daily life. Pointing out the little funny absurdities, you know? Connecting with people, points of view, shared experiences, kindred souls, BFFs forever, as I reiterated in the opening of the program. But like, you know, and the more detached I became and jaded, it's like I found myself, I'd be on stage just talking all sorts of shit and sure I'd get laughter and sure I would, I'd get laughter and I'd do okay and I'd do, you know, as well as I usually do. But there was a part of me too that would always be like, I just be looking at the crowd and being like, you know, who are these people? <laughs> like, you know, I'd just be looking at the audience like, I'm suffering. I, 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 I inherently knew that I just, I mean, they say you can't pick your audience. Your audience picks you as a performer. Like, I can't sit here and say, I want, you know... 21-year-old, big-titted hussies as my 
immediate fan base. Like, I, you can't just pick your audience, right? But, like, they pick you. But, like, part of why they would pick you is if they relate to you. The relatability. And there is a lot of relatability in what I do. And I do have, like I said, a high comedy IQ. You know, voice, mannerisms, patterns of speech, narratives, characters, typical joke setup, setup punchline. Like, there's, there's a lot of ways to hit an audience, to relate to them. But it's like, I almost felt like they could see or feel how detached I was. You know? It would be the same as... If you were, like, I mean, how could you be a contractor building homes if you had no care or interest for people? You know, it's like, I don't care what kind of shanty I tack up as long as these dummies pay me for it. I don't care if the family is safe. I don't care if the electrical work is safe or the plumbing is safe or the infrastructure is safe. I don't care about people. I just want to tack up whatever dummy fucking worksite construction I can muster up and make a quick buck. That ain't a lasting form of business. So in a real sense, I guess I'm saying, which is relatable across industry, an interest for our fellow man, an interest in our fellow human, that human-to-human contact. You know, I have to admit, I never hated people. I never dis... I, I, I just, I became jaded and disinterested. Like, basically, when someone's speaking, I would have the thought, like, okay, well, they're speaking. They want something. But I am also a person who wants something. So I know I don't want what they want, and they probably don't want, I, don't want what I have. So why don't we just, like, cut it? Cut the horse shit. Like, no patience, no tolerance, no brotherhood. No connectivity. I'm just like a, yo, I'm a closed circuit. Take it on, bark up another tree, dude. I'm not interested in anything you have to say. I had like a real kind of standoffish approach. And ideally, I want to draw people in. You know? I want to connect with people, ideally, as a performer. And that's relatable across industry. And um, one of my first hints of that was, um, you know, I had started producing my own shows last year in 2019. I was producing my own stand-up comedy shows and, you know, I was trying to connect the community. I was trying to like, you know, give stage time opportunities to other comedians like myself, up-and-comers, right? And wow, I was just struck by the, like I saw in them where I had once been. They hadn't learned that value, that value of connectivity, that value of cooperation, I remember there was this one comic, he messaged me to be on my show. You know, I was producing a stand-up comedy show. I said, sure, you can do my show. Thank you for the interest. He sounded very courteous. He sounded very nice. He was a guy who was like relatively on my same level professionally. So I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. If you want to do the show, let's do it. Shows up at the gig. Complete arrogance ignorance condescension you know he was like this fucking portly fat egotistical fucking 
you know, he's the smart Alec comic. He's a smart motherfucker. And he knows this. He knows that. And he was like talking and condescending, condescending to me. And I was like, wow. Like this is a person completely devoid of like, I mean, this was a person who I saw hadn't realized and transcended the the self-centered, egotistical arrogance that can happen in business, in life, as a performer, as a human being. He hadn't transcended that arrogance. You know, because I had once been like him. I had I'd once been the type of comic that would, you know, walk up to a room and I'm going to dominate the room and I'm the funniest thing since sliced bread, you know? You know, you haven't heard jokes like this since fucking, you know, Jesus walked on water or whatever, right? He would come up in there like God's gift. I'm like, wow, this person hasn't realized. He hasn't realized. He was just like arrogant and obnoxious. And, you know, he presented himself online as this very nice guy. But in person, he was just a complete dick. And I saw in him, oh, he hasn't returned to the basic brotherhood that makes life palatable. He's trapped in his own world of ego and arrogance, self-centeredness. And looking into this new frontier as a stand-up comedian, as a performer, as a human being, I'm returning to loving people. Do you buy my smile? I love you. <laughs> I've returned to loving people. I've always, I mean, I'm re I've returned to liking people. I've always loved people. I've always believed in, I'm a Christian. Do unto yourself as you will have done unto others. Do unto others as you'll have done unto yourself. I believe in that motto. I've always loved people. But, you know, I went through a very chartable. Like, I, I can almost chart it. I can almost date it. I can remember it vividly. I went through a period of time, like a few years of just disliking people, disinterested in people. Take it elsewhere. I'm not fucking interested. And that's what I'm excited to return to in this um, time of change. Pandemic 2020. Hallelujah. There you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Yeah. Sip of water, folks. Quick sip of water, balls. Thank you, balls. Ah, that's enough about me for the moment. You know, I'm going to talk some more about me, believe me. But uh, for the moment, I want to talk about bum -ba -da -bum, Trump. Donald Trump. Okay. Chinese plague, fake news, Chinese flu. What you want to do is drink plenty of bleach, get plenty of sunshine. Okay, you're going to do fine. What's with sleepy Joe Biden? You know, how come his son Hunter got paid uh, $3.5 million from um, the mayor of Moscow? That doesn't make any sense. That's a very good question. How come Joe Biden's son got paid $3.5 million in energy commissions from the mayor of Moscow? What does he know about energy commissions? Okay, it's a very good question. Fake news, Chinese plague, Chinese flu. Okay, I get it. Oh, the president, what is he, 45? Number 44, number 45? Ah, whatever, I'm not American. But uh, though I'd love to live there someday, possibly. Travel there. 
I love my neighbor. Um, well, old Trumpity Dump Dump Dump. You know, he's been in some hot water as of late. Uh, this is some news from globalnews.ca. Trump's don't be afraid message after COVID coronavirus treatment is appalling, experts say. U.S. President Donald Trump told the American people Monday not to worry about the novel coronavirus as he left a top military hospital where he spent days being treated for COVID-19. That message was denounced by health experts and politicians who bemoaned Trump's dismissal of a virus that has now killed over 210,000 Americans. 210,000 Americans many of whom were unable to access the same high-quality care the president received at Walter Reed Medical Center. Don't be afraid, okay? Don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life, okay? Trump tweeted as he announced he was leaving Walter Reed, where he was taken to, where he was taken to Friday, after revealing he had tested positive for the coronavirus. I feel better than I did 20 years ago, okay? He added. Trump then doubled down on his message in a video recorded at the White House at the White House shortly after his return from the hospital. Don't let it dominate your life, okay? Get out there, be careful, he said. We have the best medicines in the world, okay? And they're all happening very shortly, and they're all getting approved, and the vaccines are coming momentarily. He added, once again doubling down on claims a vaccine could arrive within weeks. The leaders of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the Food and Drug Administration have estimated a vaccine won't be available for wide public distribution until 2021. Zane Chagla an infectious disease expert at McMaster University, said the president's messaging struck the wrong tone as the pandemic continues to spread across the country. I don't even know what to say about that, he said when asked about what kind of message the tweet sends. It's a pretty powerful message to tell the American people, don't be afraid, when 200,000 people have died before he even tested positive. It's polarizing. It's polarizing. What are you, fucking Magneto? Would you fucking calm down with this fucking polarizing scientific mumbo jumbo? The man just made it a, a, an opinion. Don't be afraid of the coronavirus. You're polarizing me. You're Magneto. Oh, hell, I don't know. Am I supposed to live in fear every fucking damn minute of my life? Anyway, that's a little side tangent. Ceglia said many in the medical community had been hopeful that Trump would understand the severity of COVID-19 after going through it himself. He pointed to the change seen in British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, another wacko with weirdo hair. You know, those two are, could be cousins. Who appeared visibly shaken back in April when he spoke to British people following a bout with the illness that put him in intensive care. Johnson recently stepped up 
public health measures in the wake of a second surge in cases after facing criticism for being slow to act on the initial lockdown in March. Trump has spent eight months downplaying the severity of the virus, which he has admitted to both in public and private taped conversations with journalist Bob Woodward. He has gone back and forth on telling people to wear masks while almost always refusing to wear one himself. As if I'm going to wear one of those fucking things, okay? I don't wear a rubber when I fuck porn stars. I don't wear masks when I have coronavirus, okay? Fake news, Chinese plague. Get bleach, get plenty of sunshine. You're going to be fine. At least I think so. He also regularly mocked political opponents who do who do so, including Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe. <laughs> upon his return to the White House Monday, Trump quickly removed his own mask upon entering the building, where several staff members and other close contacts have tested positive and dozens more are in self-isolation while awaiting their own test results. Yeah, that's a snippet from an article, globalnews.ca. You know, also earlier this week, uh, the president was lambasted and criticized online for taking a brief motor cad, motor car, motor, motor cad. You know, he took a little uh, tour in a presidential vehicle, waved briefly at the people to, um, I guess, show some strength during a time when, you know, coronavirus is obviously on the forefront of people's minds and what safety measures are needed and what's the severity of it. You know, he took a little tour in the presidential uh, motorcad vehicle or whatever they call it, waving at the people, you know. He was criticized for that. You know, it's like, you put people's lives in danger poten- potentially and this, that, and the other. And do. Hey, all will be revealed in time. I officially, as I've been saying for like officially maybe last two weeks, but what I've been pretty much conscious of from the beginning, hey, COVID-19 is real. You know, I wear my mask. I wash my hands. I don't take unnecessary risks, but I don't live in fear. And that's what the president was trying to um, love him or hate him. That's what he was trying to show you know, he wished, you know, he told the, the American people, you know, don't live in fear. Don't let this dominate your life. Okay, don't live in fear. Don't let this dominate your life. Okay. You know, he, he's pretty much trying to keep people calm and hopeful. And they criticize him for that. And it's obvious. Coronavirus, COVID-19, it exists. It exists. It affects the elderly, the people in poor health, and people who are overly obese. But generally speaking, it's a condition that you can recover from if you catch it with fairly low 
um, attendance. You just need some rest and some basic flu-like remedies. The numbers are obviously overinflated. The severity of it has been blown out of proportion. And it's fucking crystal clear. It's obvious as the day is long, you know. You have to be a complete moron not to see that this thing has been politicized and used as a weapon to gain control over global economies, people's minds, and, you know, some deep state agenda. That's obvious. It's a weapon to disrupt global economies and control the masses. That's what COVID-19 coronavirus is. It's not nearly as damaging and severe as they claim. And a lot of these numbers are overinflated in that these people are already in poor health. You know, they have these pre-existing conditions, these pre-existing health conditions. They catch coronavirus, COVID-19, that they were already openly susceptible to due to their ill health poor health choices, and just the the unfeeling, cruel reality of time. You know, I love our elders. I respect my elders. Lord willing, I will mature into an I will mature into an elderly man someday. I will get to live a long life, a full long life. And when that time comes, I will realize I want the best for my health, but it's just a reality of life. When you age and you get older, you become weaker, more susceptible to disease, trauma, injury. You're more brittle. It's a reality of life, unfortunately. So, I agree. Though I don't agree with everything the president stands for and says, and, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know, his general demeanor is unappealing to me, though I find him highly entertaining and hilarious. I do believe he's a, he's an intelligent man. Don't twist it. They try to make it seem like he's this bumbling dummy moron, whoopsie doodle, billionaire, multi-billionaire, head of head of multiple companies, president of the United States, whoopsie doodle, he's an idiot. He ain't a perfect person. Downright ignorant and retarded at times, but what a great message. Don't let it dominate your life. Don't live in fear, okay? Drink, bleach, get plenty of sunshine. <laughs> I loved it in the in the in the uh, the presidential debates of 2020. Joe Biden said, somebody said that, either the moderator or Joe Biden said, you know, well, Trump, how about your mishandlement of the coronavirus COVID-19? You told everybody to, you know, drink bleach. What kind of leadership is that? (laughs) And then Trump, Trump goes, that was a sarcastic remark and you know it. That was sarcastic and you know it. Like, it was such a funny rhetoric, rhetoric, or it was such a funny comeback because, um, 
the way he said it was like it was so juvenile and it was intentionally funny it had like the timing of a comedian it was just so like that was sarcastic and you know it oh that was a sarcastic remark and you know it i said that to be sarcastic it was so like juvenilely innocent you know it's like i didn't mean it you know it's like i didn't mean it it was like a plea it was like his closest attempt at pleading like if you've ever th- if you ever think you're going to hear Donald Trump plea for something it's his plea to make it understood that his um comment on drinking bleach was sarcastic that was a sarcastic remark and you know it that was a sarcastic remark and you know it <laughs> he's pleading <laughs> he's simply pleading look at him that was sarcastic and you know it okay how's my hair That was sarcastic, and you know it. (laughs) Do I? What do I know? But, um, apparently we know it. But, uh, hey. (laughs) You know, I I don't condone that hairstyle. I don't condone some of his fucking babblings and blatherings. But he's right. Don't let it dominate your life. Don't live in fear. Take the proper precautions. It's not as severe as they're telling us. This is a politicized game. This is politic. It's a game. Hallelujah. Moving on here. Moving on up. Uh, you know. A little sip of water. If you're new to the show... Uh, I speak on, you know, current events, you know, the times of our time. And I also speak on, um, you know, something relatable to all people. The workplace. A working life. And, you know, in this time of pandemic, we're seeing how, how, like it or not, we are all tied to the to the economy right and where do we fit within that scope now i recently if you're new to the show quit my job as a janitor i was working full-time as a janitor for like the last year and eight months it helped me pay off a student loan it helped me finance and fund produce my stand-up comedy shows it helped me put money into jr the p jonathan ramchand the podcast it was generally okay but there was a lot of things i disliked about it obviously being a jack obviously being a janitor the foremost of it you know i'm talking mop buckets slot buckets toilets tampons urinals urinal cakes parking garages parking lots garbage bins recycled bins you know the whole kit and caboodle, folks. You name it, I cleaned it, you know? You know, I was working as a janitor, you know? Not exactly ideal, but, like, it did a lot for me. There was a lot of utility. And the beauty of working these jobs that are somewhat transient is that, hey, you do the best you can, you have a good attitude, you make your money, you do your time. But, conversely, once it becomes a little much too much, you can wipe your hands of it, wash your hands of it, 
the dust from my heels, beyond with you, quit. Didn't think twice about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, two weeks notice. Bye. But, oh, well, we really enjoyed having you here, Jonathan, and your work was good. And is there any reason? No, no, no particular reason. I'm gone. Okay, well, it was nice working with you. Yeah, it was a nice opportunity. <laughs> you know? I had some very great, um, I had a great manager. I had an all right supervisor. Everybody was fine, but, you know, it just, I mean, come on. How long can you be happy doing janitorial work? Especially when you got a building full of morons, you know? Some people are kind, some people were respectful, a lot of people were douchebags. It's relatable across industry. And there's no reason for me to believe that once I become more and more successful in my performing endeavors as an actor, as a stand-up comedian, I'm still going to face similar blowback. There's always somebody looking to control, looking to dominate, looking to chime in with their little fucking opinion and micromanagement style. It's a world of ego and control that we live in. Unfortunately. So um, since quitting that job, I had moved on to a new conquest, package handler. I was a package handler for a logistics company, a global distributor in, you know, online purchases, online shopping, trade, industry, you know, anything under the sun, anything under the moon. You know, you name it, they shipped it. You know, I was involved as a package handler for a minute. Well, that all came fucking falling down. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I say that comically. I mean, I didn't give two fucks. You know, like, I gave it a shot. I started to see some things around me that I didn't quite agree with. And I had to readjust. And I hope this can be relatable across industry. Anything you're doing. It takes a lot of determination, assessment, awareness, introspection. What do you believe in? What do you stand for? What are you willing to take and what are you unwilling to take? Case in point. As I said, I had taken on this new job as a package handler for a distribution company. At their where. At their warehouse, at their site, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of different things that going that goes into the distribution of these goods. And when you're getting trained as a package handler, what do you think we are, baggage handlers? What do you think we are, baggage handlers? Two thousands to go and raid on a bag of cocaine in Miami. Everybody knows that. You call me a monkey, I'll kick your fucking monkey ass. You call me a fucking monkey, I'll kick your monkey ass across. Oh, fuck it. Fuck you, man. Fuck you, man. Do you know anything about cocaine? Bigger man! What are you kidding? <laughs> Case in point. When I talk about knowing what you stand for and what you don't stand for. One very subtle, inspirational moment from that scene in Scarface. Tony Montana and Manny, his uh, 
sidekick, his business partner. They're working in a dish pit on some Miami roach coach. You know, they're flipping burgers on some roach coach. They're trying to move their way up in the drug game in Miami, circa 1980. They get this opportunity to move a package. Obviously, it's some sort of drug transaction. And they're going to meet Omar. Omar is like, you know, some mid-level drug person. You know, maybe one step above them, one or two steps above them. And, you know, as they go to meet this this uh, Omar character, as they go to meet this Omar character to get their orders for the for this new drug deal, you know, Manny, you know, he takes off his apron, right? You know, remember that fat guy, that fat guy, their boss you know, on the roach coach? Their boss goes, well, you guys get back very quick because we got some work to do. We got some work to do. You guys get back very quick. We got some work to do. Manny takes off his apron and he combs his hair and he gets all guzzied up the best he can to, you know, and he starts walking in a certain way, trying to project this sense of whatever, you know, trying to present himself to Omar, the drug mule. Tony Montana, he just strolls up like nothing, you know, he doesn't take his apron off, keeps the apron on, keeps the chef hat on, just walks over all sweaty. What do you want? Do you know something about cocaine? Bigamy! What are you kidding? That's how you gotta stare every fucking day in the eye. What are you kidding? <laughs> do you know something about being a package handler? What are you kidding? <laughs> in the training video for this package handler, what do you think we are, package handlers? This package handler job I had, it was clear. Don't step, you know, don't do this, don't do that. Safety procedures. Wear your steel toe boots. If you need help, ask for help. Work smarter, not harder. That was the training video. Safety first company procedure then I get on the job everything was turned on its head everything they told us not to walk on like there's like a they call it a roller it's like this belt that 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 kind of it's like a conveyor belt that moves and you know there's all these unwanted items untagged items they get placed on the conveyor belt it's like a walkway and, it, and every now and then, it gets reset, and then it begins to move. They tell us in the training, don't step on the conveyor belt. Everybody was stepping on the conveyor belt. Even the supervisors, they were walking on the moving conveyor belt. But the, but the training said not to walk on the conveyor belt. That was the first clue. Second clue was, um, you know... Well, actually, that was the second clue. People were walking on the conveyor belt. The first clue was people were talked to like complete animals. You know, like, 
hey, you don't have to kiss my ass. You don't got to blow fucking smoke up my ass. But you can be civil with me. If you want me to understand something, just speak to me civilly. Civilly. Supervisors and managers were, you know, I want this done. I want that done. This guy was like barking at me. It was like my first, it was like my second day. And he comes by, he goes, there's some, there's some packages in your, in your, in your cart. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, I want it emptied. I was like, beside, I was, I was just so like, I see what he is. It's like, oh, you're an anxious idiot. You don't even recognize that I'm new. You don't even recognize that you don't even know who I am. Like, imagine just walking up to somebody you don't know and barking at them. Like, wouldn't you even stop to think like, do I know this person? Do I know the situation? Like, I'm obviously new. You're the manager. I'm supposed to look to you for guidance. And that's how you deal with me? Walks over to me. I couldn't help but notice there's some stuff in your, in your carriage. In your buggy. I'm like, yeah. He goes, I want it emptied. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then he walks off, right? It's it's so funny. Like, like was that supposed to be some, <gasps> like, I don't know what he expected me to do. Oh, and go and run over there. Run over on the moving conveyor belt. Run over and risk my my safety and my health. I'm supposed to rush over to the buggy or the carriage or whatever the hell they call it. I am whatever mumbo jumbo fucking baloney fucking term they want to use for it. Bunch of fucking hogwash. Expect me to go out there and risk my life. I want it emptied. I was like, okay. So it's like, number one, they're disrespectful to people. Number two, they work unsafe. They walk on the moving conveyor belt. And, you know, number three, it's just pure anxiety. Nobody works together. Nobody uses any common sense. You know, there's a lot of different items that come down the track for delivery. You got to take these items off of the moving buggy, the moving the moving cages, the moving shelves. There's like these shelves that move on like a track. And you have to empty the shelves and place the items on the truck for delivery while it's moving i'm talking like fucking exercise bikes you know bench press you know like heavy heavy items bookshelves all sorts of crazy shit you gotta take it off these moving shelves and place it on a truck and there's all these co-workers but nobody's asking each other for help everybody's working completely unsafe blowing their back out yanking these fucking heavy items off of these moving cages complete stupidity and i started looking around and i'm thinking like what's special about me like why like am i truly being out of line is there something lacking in me why does this bother me yet there's proof that there's all these people there's like over a hundred, there could be like like there hundreds of people work at this facility. I'm like, how come I can see this, but these people don't? Like, is there something lacking in me? Am I truly so lazy that I won't put in a hard day's work? Or is it that these people are complete morons that are desperate, willing to work unsafe, willing to put their own physical well-being at risk for some pitiful little fucking paycheck 
Like, what is so different about me that I see this, yet they don't? And I got to thinking about it. Well, first of all, they're willing to be disrespected. I want the cage emptied. <laughs> sure, bark at me, yell at me. Yeah, I'm an idiot. Like, I, I'm like, I don't know why he couldn't have just spoke a little bit more civilly towards me. Especially as it was like my second day and he didn't even know me. Didn't like hurt my feelings or ruffle my feathers, but I'm like, oh, well, if that's like the introduction, <sighs> you know, I wonder what the finale is, you know? Pull out a pump shotgun. You get back to work, I'll blow your fucking head off. Like, What kind of nut fucking house is this? You know, a bunch of basket cases. So I'm like, hmm. You know, they just, they're willing to be disrespected. <laughs> they're willing to work unsafe, risk their health. And they're willing to be anxious all day. These people are willing for, to do that. And I got to thinking about it. I'm like, well, I'm not willing to do that. And there were so many signs from like, you know, when you speak, when you, when you talk about listening to the universe, there were so many signs. Like I had to, I had to wake up at the crack. I had to wake up at like fucking one o'clock in the morning, catch, take a one and a half hour, like a, almost a two hour bus ride transfer off of two or three different buses and living in a downtown metropolis early in the morning you got fucking drug addicts mental patients all these type of people <sighs> you're dodging mental zombies drug addict zombies alcoholic zombies you're dodging crazy motherfuckers you're chasing down buses you're going out into the fucking boonies you know, one hour, 45 minute bus ride to get yelled at by some fucking dummy yanking fucking bookshelves and fucking exercise bikes off of a moving conveyor belt, risking your health, risking your fucking sanity. Two tears in a bucket, motherfuck it, you know? Bye. <laughs> Quit. And it's totally dust to my heels. Water off a duck's ass. Quack. You know, don't give a bumba clot, blood clot, fuck. You know, and I'm like everybody. I'm a everyday person. I do need an income. I do need to work, but I do need something that is fair, reasonable, and that I can sustain over a ground of time in order to get to my next goal, my overall goal as a performer, stand-up comedian, you know? It's not exactly easy to get loose better than Mother Goose rock the mic day and night as a performer when you got somebody barking at you. Empty the cage. Blah, 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 blah. It's like getting penalized for showing up for work. I'm like, oh, this is a place where they penalize you just to penalize you. It's like they they speak to you in a way because they can speak to you in a way. Like, for example... One day, my supervisor, you know, she goes, it was the end of the, it was the end of the shift, right? I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm drenched in sweat. My back's killing me, you know, covered in dust. I go over to her, excuse me, boss. <clears throat> oh, it was a good day, wasn't it, boss? Well, I'm fitting to go home, boss, if that's mighty okay with you. You know, I'm, you know, I'm doing my due diligence. You know, I'm like, yo, I'm like, can I go home? You know, she goes, yeah, Jonathan, it's, it's good to go home and good job. You did a good job today, Jonathan. And I'm looking at her. I'm like, she goes, good job, Jonathan. You did better today. You know, you did, you did way better today than you did yesterday. 
You worked really hard today. Yesterday was a bit of a challenge, but today you really did a good job. Good job, Jonathan. I'm staring at her, right? You don't see the difference between today and yesterday? The day before, we got slammed. There was packages, packages, parcels, bags, boxes, blueprints, the whole kit and caboodle. It was a fucking dusting. We got fucking shellacked. We got fucking... We got fucking painted up and down them boards, boy. We got washed all over the place. We got fucking slammed the day before. There was packages galore. There was packages up the fucking wazoo. Got packages coming out my ears. You know? We got slammed. Then conversely, this day, the day in which she told me I did a good job, that day, there was considerably less packages. You don't see the difference between being overworked and then being underworked? You don't see the difference between being slammed and overburdened with work and then being relatively at ease? You don't see the bit difference between busy and slow? I didn't work any harder today than I did yesterday. The only difference between yesterday and today is that there was less packages today. What a backhanded compliment. You're telling me I worked hard today? I didn't work hard today. I didn't work any harder today than I did the other day. I worked hard yesterday and I worked hard today. The only difference is today there was less packages. That's the type of environment it was. You get penalized just to be penalized. It's like gaslighting. It's like they're telling you you're not working hard when it's like, I'm obviously working hard. There's just a lot to fucking do. You're making believe like there's nothing to do when the truth of the matter is we are swamped with work. <laughs> Two tears in a bucket, motherfucker. And you know, yo, I was out the door. And I'm like many other people, you know, I'm like any person, I got to work for a living, I have an income. But you know, I got to do it smarter, not harder. And like I said, I can't be having that stress and that anxiety. You can't get loose better than Mother Goose rock the mic day and night as a performer when you got all these motherfuckers up in your ear, hollering at you all this shit you ain't trying to hear. You know, I can't be getting bitched at and belly ached, henpecked to death every fucking moment of my existence. If I'm trying to like, you know, cultivate my mind to produce... Content, entertainment, art. You know, makes you sick to your stomach when you get that fucking shit on your fucking head every day, right? And there's more that I want to say in regards to this. More concise, thought out, a narrative, a diamond, a mining for that diamond. So um, as there has been a, a theme so to speak, on JR the P, Jonathan Ramchand, the podcast, where I speak on, you know, the working person, the realities of the economy, life, earning a buck, shaping a career, 
While I speak on those things, and I will continue to, I'm going to do it in a little bit more limited capacity. And what I'm going to do is I finally kind of have some ideas of what I want to what I want to say and how I want to present it. Like maybe within a project in a in a larger artistic sense. You know? I get on here and I tell these little stories of these little indiscretions, these little job place buffooneries, these little fucking situations. They're funny, they're entertaining. But at the end of the day, I really want to transcend that. I want to um, maybe do a larger piece and make a crowning statement in regards to that. And um, I have some ideas. You know, that's the blessing. I've been blessed with some ideas. And I'm going to kind of go at that full tilt. You know, it's a little nerve-wracking. You know, it's always a little nerve-wracking when you try something new. But I have these ideas. I'm going to go at them with some gusto, with some giddy-up, with some gumption. You know, I'm going to giddy-up, get at her, you know. Get up and get something. So, yeah, excited. And in terms of, um, like I said, I do this type of work, these menial Dr. Seuss, Mother Goose, Cat in the Hat, fake-ass fucking dummy Dylan Taunt, dipshit fucking, you know, package handler, janitor, all these little, like, menial jobs, which are essential. If you like shopping online, package handler is very essential, you know. I do these essential jobs um, with, you know, grace, happiness, and humility. But I am moving towards my other goals. I have recently um, joined a online database where I audition for work as an actor. And I've had some very fetching auditions. Yeah. In this era of pandemic COVID-19, I've had some auditions, you know, self-tapes. You know, you, you record yourself doing a part, you send it into the employer. I auditioned for a television series, um, uh, a little bit part on a television series, uh, like a, a real crime drama, like, you know, like those real crime, like Dateline type of thing, or like Forensic Files. I auditioned for one of those type of shows. Didn't get the part, but I had a lot of fun doing it. It was like, you know, a very interesting little experience. And I have some more auditions lined up this week uh, for the remainder of the week. I got a few auditions that I have to rehearse for, self-tape, and apply. So, you know, while I trudge these little uh, everyday headaches in terms of earning a buck in, uh, in this life, in this lifetime... As I meet my challenges like any man or woman should, or in between, uh, I do it with a grinning smile and I do it knowing that I am moving forward as an artist. And I hope that's very relatable to anybody out there. Hallelujah. And, um, you know, don't sweat the big stuff, don't sweat the small stuff. And um, yes, we are in a time of pandemic, coronavirus, COVID-19, but we must, um, we must stay happy, 
hopeful, healthy, unafraid, and not let this thing dominate our lives. As the good president would say, drink plenty of bleach, get plenty of sunshine, you're going to be fine. I get it, okay? I was being sarcastic and you know it. <laughs> I get it, okay? It's your old chuckle buddy, guess who? Janet and James Ramcharam, reporting live for duty on this magnificent October 6th in the year of our Lord, 2020. Yupsie doodle, you know. It's that, you know, autumn season, folks. Bust out the horror flicks. Bust out the psychological thrillers, you know. Bubble up a batch of popcorn. Get the soda. Chill out on the couch. Relax. You're gonna be fine. Drink plenty of bleach. Plenty of sunshine. Work in world. Work in realities. Career, you know. What's this new landscape gonna look? post-pandemic, you know? Drop your cocks and grab your socks, folks. Get in the game. Don't live in fear. You can do it. I'm available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, my own website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. You can email me. You can email me. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please help my black ass out, you know? Would you fucking throw a dog a bone? Share me with a friend. Till next time, folks. You live it, you love it, you realize it. Aight. Peace.